Lionel Messi had an ideal debut in his first game for Inter Miami. The U.S. women's national team is off to a strong start in New Zealand. Disney is thinking about selling a stake in ESPN to the NFL or NBA. Plus, we have an MLS legend on later in the show. It's Monday, July 24th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. There were a ton of major events over the weekend. Joining me now to talk through them is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Thanks, Owen. So Lionel Messi scored the game-winning goal in stoppage time in his first game for Inter-Miami. What does this highlight moment mean for MLS? Yeah, I mean, would we expect anything different? I mean, weeks and weeks of hype of Messi coming to Inter-Miami, coming to MLS, and, you know, the anticipation. He doesn't play in the first half. He subs in in the second half. He's, you know, the game's tied up. It's going to be a draw. And then, you know, I think if you weren't watching, probably every single sports app lit up on everybody's phone, you know, sending those alerts of Messi, shocker, stunner, scores uh, last minute. And, I mean, I think this is what everybody wanted. You know, there was LeBron James uh, was at the game, Serena Williams, Kim Kardashian was in Miami to watch Messi play. And, you know, I think this is just kind of a sign of things to come for the circus that's probably going to follow Messi moving forward. Yeah, I mean, this this couldn't have been scripted better for Inter-Miami, for MLS, I mean, for Messi himself. And there's so much hype around this. And there's always the possibility that it's kind of a dud that they lose three to one and Messi doesn't really make an impact or, you know, he, you know, something tightens up and he only plays 10 minutes or something that this, you know, obviously none of that happened. And yeah, this was basically perfect. Yeah. And, and when I'm watching it or looking at the highlights, uh, Messi looks happy. Like I think there could have been argument to be made that, you know, he might not care about soccer anymore. He's just kind of coming to America to, you know, you know, right off into the sunset, but like he looked really happy. It looked like he cared about it. I mean, he just started training, you know, a a week or so ago with inter Miami. So I think, I think he wants to be there. He wants to win. And I think that meant something to him to be able to do that in in his debut. He obviously loves the spotlight and wants to shine at like the star he is. So I I think it was awesome for everybody involved in, Including him. Yeah, it was striking how he scores the goal, runs toward the crowd, and then jumps into the arms of his teammates. And it's like, it, it really felt just genuinely happy. And like, you know, everyone wanted this moment. Yeah, it's not just like a, a job. It's like, he's he's happy to do it. He wants to keep, you know, being that guy in soccer and just happens to be in MLS now. Yeah, and let's head down south of the border um, to down under, not just a little bit south of the border, uh, to New Zealand and Australia, where the uh, U.S. Um, women's national team won 3-0 against Vietnam. Uh, what is what is their kind of next little mini chapter look like here? Right, so this week they are going to play Netherlands, who beat Portugal in group play um, on Sunday. So it's going to be a little mini battle for first place between uh, the Netherlands and the U.S. Uh, U.S. is still favored. Uh, they're expected to win their group. They're obviously, um, you know, tournament favorites to w- win the entire Women's World Cup. So, you know, a little bit of a challenge here in group play. And, you know, we've been writing at Front Office Sports about how this is going to be, you know, uh, the toughest test, you know, overall, especially once the U.S. women likely get into the knockout stage of, you know, all these countries uh, from Europe are getting a lot better at women's soccer and you know it's, it's going to get tougher from here so 3-0 win on Friday against Vietnam you know to be expected so we'll see what they do against a, a European country here 
And lastly, there are other sports that are still being played, um, and one of them is at golf. The British Open wrapped up this weekend. Uh, what was the story there? So 36-year-old American Brian Harmon won his first major championship. Um, you know, he was kind of under the radar. He's, he's won twice on the PGA Tour before, um, but he hadn't won since 2017. And he came in here and he almost went wire to wire. He was leading at the end on Friday uh, of the second round, and he never gave up the lead. Um, every time he made a bogey, he seemingly made a birdie to get right back out there. Um, he had the likes of John Rahm, Tommy Fleetwood, Rory McIlroy chasing him. Nobody could even get close. He won by six strokes at Royal Liverpool Golf Club in England. Yeah, every time I checked the score, he was up by six strokes. So it just seemed like, yeah, just dominant performance. David Rumsey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Owen. On Friday, CNBC media reporter Alex Sherman reported that Disney has had discussions with both the NFL and the NBA on a stake sale that would integrate those companies like never before. Joining me now is Alex Sherman. Welcome, Alex. Happy to be here, Owen. So you just released a scoop on Disney's potential plans about um, a partner for ESPN. What do we know here? You know... Uh, Bob Iger went on CNBC last week and talked about this idea of finding a strategic partner for ESPN. And he threw out a bunch of reasons why a partner might make sense. The big one he leaned on was if he could find a partner that provided additional distribution or content value, then maybe there would be a reason to do a deal and to actually sell a stake in ESPN. I think the original speculation immediately went to big tech thinking, oh, maybe they could provide sort of global distribution. And some of these tech companies own a little bit of content around the edges. But the more I thought about it, the owners of content are the leagues themselves. And so I started poking around on it. Um, And in fact, these discussions have happened. Uh, The NFL was looking to sell its own media rights and division uh, last year, even two years ago at this point. Uh, and part of those discussions, I think, led into potential discussions around maybe doing some sort of -of out-of-the-box deal with ESPN. Um, But look, I think these are just early discussions still. Uh, I think it's sort of what's the art of the possible here. And so, you know, I think ESPN is starting to think more strategically about what are the various things we might want to do here as we transition this business to -to direct-to-consumer. So you reported that the NBA and NFL have spoken to Disney about this. The NFL just signed a truly massive set of media rights deals, which of course included Disney, but with a number of other media partners. The NBA is in the process of signing its next massive media deal. How would one of those leagues owning a slice of one of its media partners impact those rights? Good question. I think there's a lot of hurdles here. Um, And I think, frankly... The idea of doing this strikes me as unrealistic. Uh, The leagues would alienate other media partners if they did this. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of angst about like, well, if you own part of ESPN, aren't you going to favor them in negotiations, future content? Um, So like, you know, why are we in a bidding war here? So to be honest, I don't even fully understand all of the different ins and outs that would go around this. Also, ESPN would have to worry about the league's owning them, you know, there'd be conflicts of interest from a journalism perspective too. So uh, again, I think this is just kind of like throwing some ideas at the wall at this point. Um, And maybe there are more concrete discussions going on and I just don't know about them yet. Uh, All I know is that these preliminary talks have happened. 
in the course of other discussions about how ESPN is going to go forward as an entity that primarily exists in a streaming world and not in a traditional TV world. Yeah. And just on that last point, what should we be watching out for in terms of seeing ESPN's next move and how they they're defining their future? I think ESPN is going to explore a lot of different options. Um, I think Disney is going to explore a lot of different options, even beyond ESPN, when it, when you're talking about their linear TV networks. Uh, because I think investors now feel like Disney is stuck in this legacy TV mold, and they're looking for a company that is leaner and that has more growth options to it. And look, as Disney potentially sheds assets, Disney becomes a theoretical acquisition target in a new regulatory regime that may allow larger media deals to happen. So maybe there's some benefit from that standpoint as Bob Iger looks for a successor. You know, you also have to put on the table, it's possible that Disney becomes an acquisition target itself. So I think the big takeaway here is that this company as Disney that we've known it now for 20 plus years, I think maybe on the precipice of turning into a company that looks quite a bit different in the years to come. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. Alex Sherman, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Sean. Up next, Kobe Jones was one of the top U.S. soccer players at key moments in the history of the sport in this country, including the 1994 World Cup and David Beckham's arrival in 2007. That gives him a unique perspective on Lionel Messi's arrival in the U.S. and the coming 2026 World Cup. We spoke about all that and more, and that conversation is coming up next. Now, thrilled to be joined by Kobe Jones, MLS and U.S. men's team legend and Fox broadcaster. Welcome, Kobe. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's start with the MLS All-Star Game. You had some fun stuff going on with that. What did you get up to there? Uh, well, for the for the All-Star Game, it's an experience, you know, first and foremost. And um, it, it lasts over like four or five days. You know, that I think that's one of the great things about it. It's ex- It's expanded over the years. And for me, you know, um, I partnered up with Captain Morgan. And even before this, we were going through the process of dealing with all the fans to allow the fans to actually pick who the captain of the MLS All-Star game was going to be, you know, trying to uh, give a little bit of an opportunity, spice it up with them, so to speak, to allow uh, them to help feel more involved. And they picked Luciano Acosta to to be the uh, captain for the All-Star game. All right. Yeah, very cool. Uh, the the MLS All-Stars uh, kind of, you know, didn't didn't work out so well for them. They, lo- they lost 5-0 to, to Arsenal. Uh, was that a ra- reality check, you think, when it comes to, you know, MLS versus Premier League? Well, look, it, it's a it's a reality check in some ways. And people will initially just say, OK, look at this. So, you know, look what happened. But what you have to remember, the All-Star game is the best players within MLS coming together for two days, three days in training and playing against a professional team that has all their star players training together for how many years? You know, so there's a there's a significant difference there. So there has to be a little bit of understanding of the difference there of a, as anyone that's played any sport of a team that is together for a long time and a team that has been put together that is trying to to work it out over three or four days. Yeah, I think especially in sports where it's more of a, a flow action as opposed to starting and stopping, you need that mind meld with your teammates. And yeah, Arsenal, of course, 
has years of that and and the MLS All Stars, you know, just kind of got thrown together. Yeah, and one of the one of the best teams in the Premier League too. Let's let's not forget that as well. So. <laughs> I'm sure, there's a lot of teams within the Premier League that uh, probably have had some worse score lines than that against that Arsenal side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to get get into. Um, your MLS experience. So you were on the LA Galaxy when David Beckham arrived. I think it was his last year when when he joined the team, if that's right. Um, and of course, now we've got kind of the the next moment like that with Messi showing up to Beckham's team on Inter Miami. What was that Beckham moment like, and how does how do you think this Messi moment compares? Uh, the the Beckham moment was incredible, and I know a lot of people. It's difficult to compare, but I will try my best to, to be to be upfront about this. Um, a lot of people will say, "Okay, this messy thing is like a whole new level and whole thing." Yes, that it, it, it completely is. It will take this league to another level. When you look back at the Beckham thing, I think it was it was very impactful. You could argue more impactful in the fact that no one was expecting anyone to make a move like that. There was no uh, big time stars from Europe that were going to consider it you know, at that time. And Beckham made that first step where he led the way. So in fact, his movement into MLS then has allowed this movement, you know, I don't even know how many years after for Messi to, to, to make this, to make this move where you argue that Messi's, you know, at the top of his game, top player in the world, winning a world cup, you know, MVP, all these different things. So it's, I think it's absolutely fantastic, you know, all, all the way around comparable, but there, but there are differences and, I mean, you know how it is. You always look at what's happened in your time. For me, I will look at that Beckham moment as probably one of the biggest things that MLS could ever do. We will see how this goes with Me- with Messi, uh, but let's be honest. I'm probably betting this will be just as big, you know, going forward. Yeah, yeah. What was it like? You know, obviously there's all the hype, the headlines, the fanfare, and then you have to play a season. So, what was it like just having you know Beckham on your squad just day to day? There's 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 goods and bads, you know, and the goods definitely outweigh the bads. The goods are, you know, just all, all the attention that gets brought. You know, you have um, all the different groups, the different um, the eyeballs that are going to be on it, you know. And with that, you have all the different sponsors and all the money that comes into the game. You know, a lot of groups want to be a part of it. You know, and I think that's going to be the exact same thing that happens now with Messi. You know, much, much more eyeballs, more people are going to be paying attention, then more groups will be involved. Uh, and I tell you, all the groups that were involved with Inter Miami and <laughs> are going to be extremely happy, you know, that uh, Messi is joining and going to be a part of the club. Some of the bets, you know, and it's more of a soccer thing is that you do have, you know, all that attention. I think it was a little bit of a shock for some of the players that had never played at the highest levels. You know, I was fortunate where I've been on a World Cup squad, so I kind of knew what that attention can be like. But some others, it was just like it was different, difficult for them to see that every single move that they were making was now, you know, being uh, looked at and viewed. But in this day and age, you know, if we jump forward, this day and age, it happens all the time now with social media and everything. So it's going to be a little bit of a change, I think, for some of the players. But the biggest thing, I think, is once again, you're going to have, um, and the positive is more eyeballs, more people getting involved, all the different sponsors that we've seen from you know, Adidas, Captain Morgan, all these are going to be extremely happy about this move. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's joining the club that right now is uh, last in MLS. Do you think he can lift them up and and make them contenders? 
Yes. Yes. I think Messi can lift them up and, you know, hopefully make them contenders. I think everybody, you know, is hoping for that just because you want to see the impact of such a, uh, such a, a renowned and remarkable player. And, and let's not forget, it's not, it's not just him. You know, we're talking about uh, Sergio Busquets coming in, Alba, you know, from what we've heard coming in. Um, so it's not just Messi. Messi is the, the huge focal point of everything, but I think there's an understanding that it does take um, more than just one person you know, to make a team uh, be, compete for a title. It will be significant you know, with Messi there. I think, let's be honest, everything's going through him, right? You know, <laughs> everything's going to be played through him. He will have the impact, and I think he will inspire and make maybe some of the players that were there before better than what they were. So you mentioned your your World Cup experience. You were is it three World Cups, right? Three World Cups, yes. Yeah, so it puts you in a, a pretty small club there. How does your mindset change with each tournament? It's di- it's difficult to say, but when it first starts out, you know, when you're younger, you're just like wow, and it's kind of overwhelming, and you're looking at this and just going, "You made it," because this is an achievement that very few, you know, uh, even have the opportunity to get to do. So I can remember at the beginning, just going, wow, I made it. You're it, it, just sitting there in awe of everything and really not remembering a whole lot, only the biggest moments, you know, through that world cup. But then as you go, you know, you go on, then you, you realize how fleeting it is. And then you really want to take it in. You, you're wondering if this is your last one and how far you can go and what can you, can you accomplish something amazing? And, and each world cup, I realized that I wanted to do a little bit more, be a little bit better and take that experience in um, more than I did at the beginning, because I understood that, you know, not everybody gets this chance and that it doesn't come along, you know, very often. And I was very fortunate for it to happen for me three times. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that because, of course, we've got the the U.S. women are going for the three-peat right now as we speak. And, you know, my first thoughts were around, you know, players like Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe, who are these legends who are, you know, trying to, you know, they're who are most associated with this dynasty. But then you think about people like Trinity Rodman and Alyssa Thompson, who are trying to carry that whole weight of the, you know, going for the three-peat, the, all these teams, but they're, you know, they're 18, they're 20, you know, it's their first time. Um, so, yeah, what do you think it's like for them? Uh, as I said, for me, I think it's going to be a little bit of an overwhelming experience. And I'm sure, you know, most of them will tell you, no, nah, it's okay. I got this. But there's something to be said of when you walk into that stadium, you know, and you're wearing the jersey. And it's not just, and this may sound silly, you know, but it's not just a regular national team game. You know, you're in the World Cup. It's the pinnacle of your sport. And when you walk out on the field like that, there's something hits you. And, they, and they'll be able to see it and feel it, you know, when they step out onto the field that it's so much more. Um, they, it, they will be overwhelmed. There'll be that l- little bit of a moment, but because they are professionals, you know, they'll be able to handle it. And, you know, it's like they say, you know, there'll be, there'll be that little bit of fear, right? But everybody has it. It's just how you handle and deal with it. And I think um, just their ability and the fact that they're there shows that they're able to handle it well. So I, I wish for them, you know, just that try to try to take it in and, and try to really soak it in and try to remember some of those things because it does go quick. You know, even if you go all the way you know, to the final, it goes quick. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, the 2026 World Cup might be the most anticipated sporting event maybe ever. You're part of the last World Cup in the U.S. in 1994. How do you describe the impact that that tournament had on soccer's presence in this country? You, you can't describe it you know, because it impacted the game in so many different ways. It changed the game in this country in so many different ways. It, it's allowed everything that we see now to really take shape and take form. You know, on the men's side, on the women's side, the national teams, the youth teams, everything. Uh, because there was a belief that soccer wouldn't succeed in this country. There, was a, there were thoughts and rumors that uh, they may move that World Cup from the U.S. because they didn't think it could be successful. But for it to finally come through and to have that moment here in the United States and showing the, su- the success of such an event within the United States, that took, that took a, lot of, a lot of power, a lot of power from the people that were behind it. It allowed this sport to really gain that first foothold, and it, and it started the belief. You know, when you have sold-out stadiums, you know, probably one of the most successful World Cups, if not the most successful World Cup to date, it, it just shows that soccer has a place in this country. And I think even after that tournament was over, I think FIFA and, and everyone knew at some point the World Cup was going to be coming back to the United States because it was such a success. You know, people have been saying the next one's going to be the biggest sporting event ever in the history of the world. And, you know, I have little reason to doubt that. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in this country, we've got this funny situation where we've got MLS, of course, is the main soccer league, but it's not the only one. We also have the USL. The USL is going to vote on promotion and relegation. I would guess that they're going to go for it from people I've talked to at MLS. They're saying, look, it's, it's not no plans for that right now. We can't invest in these giant stadiums and, you know, try to get people hyped about these teams and then say, oops, sorry, you're in the lower division now. Um, Do you have a, do you come down on either side of that of, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Should everyone just figure out what works best for them? I think that's it. You you have to figure out, what's best for you. Because as we've just said before, this soccer in this country is a different landscape, you know, than the rest of the world. Soccer in this country at the the highest professional level did not start from the ground up. It didn't start from your local club and my local club. And then over 30, 40, 50 years, we build up into this powerhouse. No, it started out with investment and belief by people that said, Hey, let's give it a shot. Let's make it happen by putting millions and millions and millions or year after year, you know, to try to get to a place where soccer would be sustainable. And so I, yeah, I think it would be very difficult for someone to say, yeah, I've invested over 20 years, millions and millions of dollars. And then say, yeah, after one year, Oh yeah, sorry, you're, you're down to the lower league and not making any money, you know? Off of it. So I, I think we have to be realists in that aspect of where we're at, you know, soccer in this country was built professional level, mind you, built from the top down, you know, rather than the bottom up. So that's the big difference that a lot of people from overseas or people that are big fans of the teams and the the promotion relegation have to understand. Would we like to get there where, yeah, that doesn't matter and we can do that? I think all the soccer purists would say, yes, you know, that would be great. But it's got to be the right situation, you know, for for everyone. And, And good luck to the USL if they're able to to pull that off and if it works you know maybe it's a good testing ground all right all right cool kobe jones thank you so much for joining us on the show yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it 
That is it for today. If you're enjoying the show, say hi at Owen Poindexter on Twitter. I really enjoy hearing from listeners or give us a rating or review wherever you're listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.